Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jay Forseth. I'm superintendent of the Western Conference of the Evangelical Church. I bring you greetings today from your brothers and sisters in a four-state region, 8,500 people gathering this morning to worship our Lord and Savior, just like you are. And today I'm extra pleased to greet you with my wife, Lisa, who is here today. So, Lisa. Her first trip to your church, I think. Yeah, and what we noticed immediately is that we really like Seth, but we love Virginia. (laughs) You married up. So did I, so. (laughs) You have a bulletin with the blanks to fill in on the back side. Uh, They aren't perfect blanks. I kind of messed up, but we'll make the best of it. We're here today to talk about one word. It's called stewardship. Would you all say that word out loud, please? Louder. Whisper. Outstanding. This is going to be a different sermon than you've ever heard before. There will be much audience participation. I've already hand-selected 10 volunteers who will be coming up here to win valuable prizes. Chocolate. And I pray that this will be a sermon that you never, ever forget. So if you would, please just put one hand out like this. For a little while, God puts things into your hand, and you get to hold on to them with an open fist. You do not get to white-knuckle clench down on the things that God puts in your hand. Envision in your hand your children and your grandchildren, your farm, your business, your home, your time. He just puts it in your hand for a little while. And then He asks you to be faithful with those things that He has trusted you with. But you don't get to keep them. You only get to temporarily steward that which He places in your hand. Thank you. Stewardship is not just your money, your stuff, and your things. Although that's part of it, it's the easiest part to quantify But stewardship is more than money, stuff, and things. It is your time, your talents, and your treasures. And you can just write that in your bulletin blanks. Time, talents, and treasures. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says, to every person God has given a trust, you need to be found faithful. So faithfulness is, in fact, the goal, not perfection. But to be found faithful 
with your time, your talents, and your treasures. Now, I walked around earlier, and I, I was thinking, who could I volunteer or who would be willing to volunteer? And I picked three victims in the back row, one guy and two gals on this side, and they're looking at me now going, oh, no, 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 no. You three, come on up here. You don't have to say a word. Just join me on the platform if you would be so kind. Yeah, they're thrilled. They're just so excited. Give them a big hand as they come up here, okay? All right, just come, let's come all the way up here. You get to play Wheel of Fortune. I'm not kidding you. In church, we're playing Wheel of Fortune. We have a four-word phrase that you're going to try and guess, and if you guess this right, you will, in fact, get to have valuable prizes. Okay? I already gave you the R-S-T-L-N-E. My name is Vanna White and Pat Sajak all at the same time. This is the biblical foundation for everything we'll talk about today. If you don't get this part right, nothing else will matter that I say. This is the stones at the bottom that we build on for the rest of the message. So you get to pick one vowel. Any ideas? Just pick, pick one vowel, would you? I. I. You got one. All right, good job. Good job. Do you think you already know it? No. Do you think you already know it? Aren't you so glad to be up here today? Yeah. Will you ever forget me? Yeah, yeah, outstanding. Well, pick a, pick a consonant. He did get that. Good job. You guys are well on your way. Can you pick another consonant for me? H is good. Do you know the last word? The last word is thing. Good job. Everything. She's carrying the load up here. Any others? How many of you think you already know what it is? All right, nice job. Don't say it out loud. You know where cheaters go. Minnesota Vikings. Oh, oh, wow. A Denver Bronco fan said that. Wow. Okay. Any other guesses? O is good. In fact, I'm going to give you two O's. You know, there's a Sunday school answer. Usually it's Jesus, but if you don't answer Jesus, what's the other thing? God, good job. God owns everything. Give him a big hand and grab your prize. Every one of you gets one. And you are allowed to eat it in church, I think, because they are eating donuts here evidently. Good job. The basic foundation, God owns everything. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Let me put it to you redneck style. You don't own Jack. I'll put it to you Duck Dynasty style. You don't own Jack Diddley Squat. God owns everything. Everything good you have has come from God. You don't own the air in your lungs. You don't own the spit in your mouth. God owns the hills. 
He owns the cattle on the hills. He owns the mineral rights and the oil underneath the hills. God owns everything. Naked you come into this world, naked you will depart. He just puts things in your hand for a little while, but everything is His. God owns everything. Do we understand the first point? Good. Second point, I need new victims here, and I picked these two gentlemen right there. And where's Ethan? Uh, come on over here. You, you knew I was going to pick on you, brother. All right. Yeah. You guys can just stand up here right real close to me. I don't bite on Sundays. There's a parable in Matthew that goes like this. A rich man who owned a lot of things called together his three managers and said this to them. He said to them, I'm going away. When I'm gone, I'm going to trust you with everything I have. Just know, though, that I'm coming back, and you will have to give an accounting for what you did with my things. That's the second word. The second point is we will all have to give an accounting. To the first person, let's say he gave five bucks to to the second person, he gave two. Third person got one. Anybody who tells you that everybody should have the same, it's not biblical. It's for God to decide who gets what. Because it's all his anyway. Maybe he can't trust you as much Ouch, as he trusts him. Or maybe he has another purpose, but you all still have the same charge and that you have to be good stewards of what I've trusted you with. The owner leaves, goes to Hawaii on vacation. I think that says that in Matthew. Comes back, and the first person says, Master, I have taken your five, and it is now ten. And the master shakes his hand and says words that I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. The one who had two also doubled his. He now has four. But he gets the same handshake. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Excuse me. How many know the story? The third person was scared of the owner. He went and took his one and buried it under a rock. And as if to pat himself on the back, when the owner came back, he brought out the one and said, Master, I still have your one, and he gives it back to the master. And the owner says, You wicked and lazy servant. Takes the one from him, Gives it to the one who had the most and then boots him out where this one is involved in a place that has weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that tough teaching? Sorry, my brother. You knew I was going to pick on you, didn't you? Let's give these three a big hand.
And you get a pick a prize. It's yours. Yep. Yep. Pick a prize. Take some chocolate. We all have to give an accounting of everything that God has placed in our hand. I have good news for you. This accounting is not a salvation issue. You are saved by grace, through faith, period. But I do believe there are two judgments in the end. You go, what? Well, the first judgment happens immediately upon your death. That's heaven or hell. That's sheep or goats. That's those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those who are not. The first judgment is the judgment of salvation. But it says we will give an accounting after the judgment of salvation occurs, the second judgment occurs, and it is really good news that that judgment is a reward system. I'm blowing some of you away right now because you think that I mean a nicer house or a better car or more money, stuff, and things, and that is not at all what I mean. The second judgment because your sins have already been covered over by the blood of Jesus, is a positive judgment where I think my interpretation of Scripture is that you will be giving more responsibilities in heaven. I do not believe God will wipe your mind clean when you make it to heaven like a hard drive of a computer is wiped clean. I believe everything you're involved in up till now is training for everything that God will use you for in eternity, in His glory, for His glory. And this is not wasted time that you're involved in now. This is good practice. We're not just sucking up air and blowing out carbon dioxide. There are purposes for everything God is bringing us through right now. When we give that accounting at the end, and you get the handshake that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come enjoy the Master's happiness as you spend eternity with Him. The third one. I think I had a group of five victims over here somewhere, didn't I? Come on up here, victims five. And all you have to do, yeah, come right up front. All you have to do is a five-word unscramble. This is the third basic point of this message. The message is only three points with a test at the end of it. I'm a former school teacher, and there will be a test for everybody sitting here today. Hold those up so everybody can see right in front of you. Yep, just like that. Wonderful. Good job. Now you're going to position your bodies in the correct order, remembering that they read from here to there. So go ahead and unscramble yourselves. Everybody else, see if they get it right. Spend less you. Spend less you then earn, 
Spend less than you earn. Do you think they got it right? Give them a big hand. That's all you had to do. Prizes are yours. Good job. I hope I have enough. Good job. Appreciate it. That wasn't too hard, was it? Did okay? Is your blood pressure all right? It's all right. God owns what? Well, I'll have to give a, or an, accounting, and we need to spend less than we earn. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. We have to live within our means. It's an un-American concept. And if you spend less than you earn, you will be weird in your spheres of influence. Because most people don't. Most young people want what their parents had, but they're not willing to go through the 30 years of billing, building up to it. Debt is crushing ministries today. The borrower is slave to the lender. I don't want us to be involved in being indentured slaves to different things in our life because we're to be slaves to righteousness and we're to be under Christ's authority, not under the yoke of the burden of slavery of debt. This is the 52nd church I've done this message in. Over 20,000 people I bored to death with this message. Again, I'm praying that you would never, ever forget it. But is there anybody here today that would disagree with any of the three points I've shared on stewardship? Okay. Now, I could add a whole lot more to those. And there are, are other points of stewardship. But you're now ready to take a test. One of the tests of stewardship is just one simple word. Seth has already told you what that word is. It's a word that will actually determine very quickly if you trust God and you believe in those three points. The word, of course, is tithe. Now, I did not come here today to separate you from your wallet. I came here today to talk about your time, your talents, and your treasures. This is the number one sermon that pastors ask me to preach. Let's say you have a certain number of minutes in your day, and we all do. I'll even let you subtract out the minutes for work, the supposed eight hours, and for sleep, the supposed eight hours, and you come up with 480 minutes remaining. What if you were to tithe on the remaining 480 minutes to the kingdom of God? 48 minutes a day. I'll let you count time in the Word, time in prayer, time serving the people around you in your neighborhoods, workplaces, families, all those. 
If this church was packed to the gills with people who tithed their time, you could storm the gates of hell. Forty-eight minutes a day. What does tithe mean? Well, obviously the interpretation is 10%. 10%. Now, we're going to talk about what that means here in just a minute, but I will say that all the studies out there that I'm doing for my doctorate degree on Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, those studies are saying that the average American gives away 29 to 3.9% of their time, their income, their talents, all those kind of things. 2.9 to 3.9% average American gives back. Do you know what the average Christian American gives back in? 2.9 to 3.9%. It mirrors exactly the world around them. And there's a disconnect with that. We're to look different than the rest of the world. We're actually, when you say giving to God, I agree. The tithe is giving to God. I think it's also returning to God that which is already His. It's an act of worship. And it has a couple key phrases associated with it that you could write in your box there around the word that you put on your form. It's a first fruit to the storehouse on the increase of everything God has trusted you with. It's a first fruit, not a leftover, not a final fruit, the very best from the first part. My wife Lisa and I met with a neighbor who put our feet underneath their kitchen table and discipled us. They gave us a wedding present from a guy, a book from a guy named Larry Burkett. How many have heard of Larry Burkett? I thought it was the worst wedding present we got, to tell you the truth. I was so bummed out. I was hoping for a chainsaw, rifle, shotgun. We got six blenders and a whole lot of plates. Okay. Turned out to be the very best wedding present we were given. Because in there, Larry Burkett talked about first fruits. And so my wife and I were not doing first fruit tithing. We were doing final fruit leftover tithing. And at the end of the month, there was never enough left to return back. The month we started first fruit tithing, everything switched 180 degrees for us. And there has not been a month since then that we have been in need. And I did use the word need because Scripture doesn't say that God will provide our every want. He said He provides our every need according to His riches, His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What does He provide for us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the riches. Not a bigger house like they're telling people in Africa. If you just had more faith, you'd have a bigger house. Brutal teaching as they're dying of starvation and disease. It's not true. When you give from the first fruits, 
you understand your hierarchy and you understand the goodness of God and the provision of the Creator as He provides for you everything you need. First fruit is from the first part. It's also to the storehouse. In Old Testament times, the storehouse, the tent, tabernacle, temple, to the storehouse. In New Testament times, the storehouse is where you're sitting right now. It's the place you're fed spiritually. It's the place you do communion together. It's the place you pray for one another. It's the place you serve one another. This is the storehouse where all the one another's occur. Where does the tithe go to? It goes to the storehouse and you give up control when you give it. It is a non-restricted, open-handed, returning to God that which is already His. And the leaders of this church must be found faithful as stewards of what you have generously returned to God. Tithe is not an offering. Offerings are different than tithes. Offerings go outside the storehouse. Missionaries, food banks, Billy Graham crusades, all those different types of things are offerings. And the average Jew of Jesus' day gave away 23% of their income. 10% to the tithe, 10% to the offering, and 3% to the family festival fund where they'd send somebody from their family to Jerusalem for the annual festival. Because if the whole family went, no work would ever get done back home because of all these festivals. Tithe, offering, first fruit, storehouse, on the increase. Because everywhere I go, people say, well, do you tithe on the net or the gross? Uh, you know, it's between you and God, whatever was the increase. I'm a salaried employee, 100% is the increase. If you're a farmer, subtract out the fertilizer, the seed, the gasoline. That's not the increase. It's everything above and beyond what you spent to get the crop into the, into the barns. Increase is the tithe. I did say it's an act of trust because it is, it is worshipful to say, I'm going to give the first to you and ask God that you would multiply the other 90%, that it will be adequate for my every need. And I do believe He provides that as He goes. There is this incredible scripture, though, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, that helps us balance out the legalism of the tithe, though. Because some people would highly disagree that the tithe is required. There's a lot of discussion on it. Malachi says, don't rob God with your tithes and offerings. We live under grace, and so I understand the whole discussion about it. Um, I'm not here today for you to nail down a percentage. Because actually, some of you will need to go above and beyond the percentage with whatever God is asking you to share. Others of you uh, will prayerfully consider what you're going to give because of this scripture that I'm talking about now that says, each one should decide in their own heart what they should give. 
not under compulsion, as if somebody had your arm behind your back and was wrenching it so you would give more. Each one should decide in their own heart what they should give, not under compulsion. But it does add this caveat. Give whatever you will give when you can give it with great joy. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. The one fight my parents had most often when I was growing up was on how much they were going to give. Mom was a giver. Dad was not. And as a kid, I remember listening through the walls to their loud discussions on what they were going to give that month. My mom was absolutely brilliant. Gals, if you will approach your guy like my mother approached my dad, it will change your relationship. My mom said something like this. We'll give whatever you want to give. I'll support you whatever you want to do. Could you just help me with this? This year, if whatever we give works, next year could we give just 1% more? And I could hear my dad going, fine. (laughs) You know what that means, right? That means begrudgingly, okay. First year, they gave away 2%. It worked. My dad is a man of his word. Next year, they gave away 3%. Worked again, next year, 4%. Was working so good, 6%. I mean, we're Dutch. That's a stretch, 6%, okay? Kept working. It kept working. My mother, who is now in heaven, discipled her husband without even trying. And today, my father is a type of man who will drive up in the driveway of a kid who has muscular dystrophy and he'll throw him the keys to a fully accessible handicapped van and walk away with great joy as to sharing in what God is doing in people's lives. I don't know what you give. I don't know how much time. I do ask that you would also give your talents, though. I believe last year I used my favorite quote. Some of you might remember it. If you're not giving your talents in the church body, you very well could be a blood-sucking parasitic leech who is taking, 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 feed me, help me, teach me, grow me. And you don't realize that when you use your talents, you're actually participating in the body of Christ, doing His work with all of the parts working together. If you don't use your talents... It could be like missing the Achilles tendon 
and the body won't function properly. I talked to a council member today using her talents for Jesus Christ. I talked to a worship person today using their talents for Jesus Christ. I talked to somebody who taught in the Awana program using their talents. I talked to somebody else who was an usher. I talked to, so there's all kinds of things according to your giftedness. You don't want me working in the nursery, I'll promise you that. But there are other places that I could work where I could contribute to the family in extending his kingdom and working together so that others will come to know Jesus Christ. I told you this was going to be a different message than you perhaps had ever heard before. And I fully understand that I have literally poked some of you right in the eyes. Not intending to be down on anybody. I'm just asking that you would prayerfully consider what God would have you to do with your time, your talents, and your treasures. Would you bow your heads, please? As everybody is bowing their heads, I ask that you would talk to God right now in your own way and respond to anything that you heard today. Between you and God, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I want to give an opportunity for anybody who's not a Christian to become a Christian today. If you'd like to become a Christian today, all I ask is you would just look up at me now or raise your hand so that I may pray with you. Is there anybody that wants to become a Christian today? Thank you. The best decision you will ever make. I'm asking you to pray with me now a prayer that is something like this, realizing the words aren't as important as what you're saying from your heart. So let's pray this together. In fact, I'll ask everybody in the room, even if you are a Christian, to pray this prayer, and this person is going to pray it for the very first time. Dear Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to follow after you. Thank you for saving me. But I believe in you. And so today I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And everybody said, amen. Since God owns everything, Go this week and be great stewards of what he's, he's entrusted you with. And be his witnesses everywhere you go. Thank you. Love you all. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.